You are listening to a message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For more information on City Church, or for additional resources, including service times, recommended readings, and additional audio, please visit citychurchpa.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. I just want to welcome all of you here today. It's just uh, an honor to, uh, as one of the elders here, to bring the Word of God to you. It's always very humbling. It's always an experience of wrestling with the flesh and uh, with the Word of God and asking for prayer to receive the breakthrough and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to prepare a message. And um, so it's just humbling to be able to do that, and it's an honor. And uh, so I just want to welcome you, invite you to uh, just settle your thoughts in your heart and whatever is going on within you today, and just um, uh, receive the Word of God that's able to save us. Amen. Um, let's just pray, and uh, we'll get into the message for today. Our Holy Father, God, we adore you, and we worship you today. Jesus, we give honor and glory to you today as the one who came to live among us and to suffer and to die, to bring redemption to us, the forgiveness of our sins and to tear down the dividing wall between us and a holy God that we might receive mercy and grace in our sin and in our desperate condition as humans. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you as the third person of the Holy Trinity. You are present in our very being, in our uh, bodies as the Spirit of God to dwell among us. We ask, Holy Spirit, you would uh, come and have your way today as we present the word of truth, uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would open deaf ears, that you would open blind eyes, that you would break hard hearts and hard soil to receive uh, the word of God today and that you would bring forth salvation and conviction of truth and bear fruit from the preaching of your word today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I always have to be prepared to uh, um, um, for my Sinuses to loosen up, so I blame it on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been a wonderful month, uh, the beginning of the month of the year in January. As a church, we've been focusing on prayer. Um, so we've been doing Zoom prayers, some of us, the faithful few, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. There's still an opportunity for you to uh, join in for how many more days, Larry? Larry? just a couple more days, just today. 
Um, and then also on Tuesday nights, we've been meeting here for prayer. Uh, and so if we would look at the numbers, we would say, well, you know, it's just a few, but God is incrementally establishing prayer. We're becoming a people of prayer. I believe that. And so we're just trusting God for, for the results that he brings as we're faithful. Uh, and so Larry's been very gracious in providing a devotional for us. What he did was took every reference to prayer from the book of Acts, wrote a devotional about it for each day, and then a prayer to help lead us into praying. And so thank you, Larry, for uh, that hard work and effort. Uh, it's very much appreciated. Um, so uh, that devotional, yeah, sure. Give Larry thanks with a clap there. Yep, amen. Thank you, Larry. So we've been looking at the book of Acts and the fact that uh, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. We're learning to become a people of prayer. And uh, I get the, uh, uh, <laughs> the task of closing out the book of Acts today. I've been given chapters 13 through 18. So hold on to your seats, get comfortable, settle in. You might want to get a second cup of coffee, um, but I promise you'll be out by one o'clock. So anyhow, I won't preach any longer than Pastor Raphael does. So today's message from Acts 13.3 is the, the multiplication of the church. Um, and so um, we've seen that the church was established uh, by Christ through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've seen how the church grew as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And we've seen the church expanded through Philip and Peter being sent out from Jerusalem. Uh, and so today we're going to see how the church is being multiplied uh, through Paul and Barnabas being commissioned and sent out uh, from Antioch as missionaries to the Gentile world. And, uh, and so we're going to uh, really think today about discipleship and how we each, each of us can be involved in multiplying the kingdom of God by making disciples. And so I have a question and a little illustration for us in the beginning and hopefully a little three-minute video to illustrate uh, my point. So uh, you may have noticed some pennies uh, on the seat there. So um, anyhow, if I could, and if I could offer you a million dollars today, how many of you would take that? Don't be shy. I wish I could. That would be amazing. <laughs> now, if I could give you a choice between a million dollars or if I was capable of, and again, I wish I could, but I'm not independently wealthy. If I could promise to give you a penny on day one and day two, double that penny. On the third day, double it. And for 30 days, double that penny. How many of you would choose that option instead of the million dollars. Some of you know about the power of the penny. And uh, as Albert Einstein called it, compound interest, the most powerful force in the universe. And I would say other than God himself, of course, who made all things. Uh, so uh, do we have the video uh, ready? Okay, a little three-minute video by Global Frontier Missions. Um, and uh, we'll watch this. Would you rather be given one million dollars or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? You remember this question from math class, right? 
This is when we all learned the power of compound interest and exponential growth. At the end of 30 days, that doubled penny becomes just over $5 million. Turns out, the same concept applies to missions. Imagine you filled a football stadium with 100,000 people for a gospel outreach event, and 20% of them came to know Christ. That day, 20,000 people would come into the kingdom. If you did that every day for a year, over 7 million people would come to faith. That sounds pretty great, right? Here's the question, though. If you kept that pace of 7 million people each year, how long would it take to reach the world's population of 8 billion people? Over 1,000 years. 1,095, to be exact. A 100,000-person outreach event every day for 1,000 years? From a pure numbers standpoint, mass evangelism will not reach the world for Christ in our lifetime. What about a different strategy inspired by that original math problem? Instead of preaching to 100,000 people every day, suppose you made one disciple each year, focused on their development, and equipped them to make their own new disciple every year. At the end of the first year, you would have two followers of Jesus, you and your disciple. At the end of the second year, you would have four, eight the third year, 16 the fourth, and so on, 32, 64, 128. How many years would it take to disciple the world using this strategy? 34 years. Do the math. Something profound happens when we take a multiplication mindset. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues by instructing us to teach those disciples to obey everything he commanded us. What was his final command? Go and make disciples. So our role is to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples. We're to go to all nations and make disciple-making disciples. That's multiplication. Reach the few in order to reach the many. What if you didn't feel the burden to preach to an entire village or city or country, but instead were faithful to the simple multiplication principles of the Great Commission? The entire world could be discipled in our generation if we started with just one. What about you? How might God want you to be involved in making disciples that make disciples and seeing movements of Jesus among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Would you rather fill a stadium every day for the next thousand years or commit to making one disciple this year? Let's do this together until all have heard, starting with discipling one. So, who's your one? While it's astounding, isn't it? It's quite a challenge to us. Um, and so, I want you to take that penny home with you, if you choose, as a reminder of this illustration. Um, you can put it in the offering today if you don't have anything else to give, but anyhow. Um, so, Jesus left us with this commandment, this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so it really comes down to each one of us personally receiving that challenge uh, to go and to teach that one so that they can make another disciple. And so, um, so just as an intro in, into my message today, I just want to remind you that in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10, Peter, this is what Peter says about us. He says, but you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what God has done for us saints. And that's the, the context uh, of the Great Commission and what God has called us to do. And, uh, and so, as we've been called to be the light of the world, light exposes the evil of darkness, light reveals the truth of God's word. Uh, we've also been called the salt of the earth. Salt preserves the truth and it prevents uh, the decay of a society spiraling downward. And we are in desperate need of light and truth today in our world. Um, and so, uh, as we approach even the book of Acts, um, anytime you approach the Bible to study it, whether it's a passage or a book, you always need to study it in the context. I always like to look at the whole Bible as the context for any scripture. And so, uh, even for the context of the book of Acts and the early church and this great commission to go and make disciples, we can go all the way back to Genesis uh, where God called Abram who was in a, a heathen land, uh, a land of idol worship. They didn't know the one true God. God called Abram to leave his father and his house and his country and go to the promised land that God would show him. And so God said, I will make you into a great nation. In fact, God said, uh, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abram. And then we have uh, Isaac and then through Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, which became the physical nation of Israel, even as we know today. Uh, and so it was always God's intent to have a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that he could, uh, de de that he could show his glory and his uh, um, will to the nations. And we have David, who was known as the man after God's own heart, who conquered Jerusalem. He made Jerusalem the city of God. And then his son Solomon, who was commissioned to build the first temple that was to be a house of prayer, actually for all nations. And so God always intended to show his glory and his loving kindness to all people. And yet even when Israel turned to idol worship, God kept calling them to return to him. Uh, and when we look at the prophet Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet, and no wonder because Israel was in such a, a state of rebellion and idol worship, uh, Jeremiah was the one who kept calling them to return to God. Uh, and in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, uh, this is actually God's telephone number, if you didn't know. You can write it down. Put it in your phone, in your contacts. Jeremiah 33, 3, where it simply says, call unto me. And I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. It's a simple prayer that all of us can adopt. We simply call on God because he commanded us to. And God says, I will answer you. It's a promise. And God says, I'm going to tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So we don't know what we don't know. Amen. Until we simply call on God and ask him and he delights to speak to us and show us uh, great things. 
And then in verse 11 of that chapter, it says, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. And uh, just a little sidebar uh, in relation to God's work among his people, uh, even the nation of Israel, in context of what's uh, happening in the world today, in the Middle East, and uh, uh, helping to guide you in how you can pray. In verse 25 of Jeremiah 33, God makes this astounding covenant. And he says, this is what the Lord says. If I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his sons to rule over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. God actually did that with the nation of Israel. He restored them. And we are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But I just want to challenge you today. Uh, God's words and his covenants are eternal. We don't really understand how all that plays out in the world today and in light of what's happening. But the confidence that we have in praying uh, is that God's word is eternal. If God said it, no man, no nation, no war, no events can change what God has spoken about his people. And so, but the greatest prayer that you can pray for Israel is that she would be saved. That as a nation, they would turn to Jesus Christ, their Messiah, and experience the freedom, the true freedom of being sons of Abraham. And so today we're going to look at uh, the church multiplied through five areas. We have uh, number one, through the preaching, uh, through preaching the good news of forgiveness from sins through the name of Jesus. Number two, the presence uh, and power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, through opposition and persecution. Number four, through worship, prayer, and fasting. And number five, through church planting and appointing elders and qualified leaders. And so first, we're going to look at through uh, preaching the good news boldly, the church was multiplied. And in Acts 10.42, uh, we have the account where the apostles said that Jesus had commanded them to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is what the apostles were commanded to preach. And so their preaching was always about the Christ who had suffered, who had died to pay the price to redeem them, and that he rose from the dead never to decay. And so they preached this message of Jesus who came to fulfill the law and the prophets that Jesus was the Messiah, in fact, the Christ that the prophets had promised. And so our preaching must be the same message today. The message uh, is sacred. It cannot change. And so, as the scripture says, there is no other name given under heaven through which we can be saved. Amen? Only the name of Jesus Christ. And so, as Paul would say in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. It is. Preaching seems foolish. Uh, 
to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, being sanctified by this gospel, it is the power of God, amen, to set us free, to sanctify us, and to make us that holy people that God desires. And in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living, it is active, it is powerful, it's like a double-edged sword. It's able to cut, uh, to kill and destroy the works of the flesh and disobedience, but is able to cut onto life and bring us the grace of God and give us victory. Amen? And so we are simply servants of God uh, to speak his word. The Spirit does the work of convicting of sin and convincing people of the truth that sets them free. And so number two, the church is multiplied through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. If you've read through the book of Acts at all, you are uh, confronted with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts has been referred to as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. news in their own language that was part of the power uh, and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Peter, the one who was so impetuous and impulsive, denied the Lord three times. He became the, the bold leader of the apostles. It says, Peter, stand up and begin to preach boldly of the Christ who had suffered and died, and God raised him from the dead. And the people were so convicted, they said, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And it says 3,000 were added in one day. Astounding, isn't it? And we see uh, all through the book of Acts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, there were signs and there were miracles that were done uh, through the Spirit's power. It says demons were cast out. Even the dead were raised. But here in uh, chapter... uh, 13 and verse 3, as has been read for us, we see that the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit spoke. In fact, it says he spoke names of men that he had chosen uh, to begin this missionary outreach. And so the Spirit of God said, separate Paul and Barnabas for me, for the work um, that I have called them to do. Uh, and then in verse 48 of this chapter, it says, when the Gentiles heard this good news, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then in verse 52, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy uh, and with the Holy Spirit. And so it's interesting to note as you read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit wasn't just a once and done filling. It's, it, it says often, and they were filled filled again with the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit desires to continue to fill us. So we should continue to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to to fill us and to possess us and to guide us and to direct us and to empower us. Um, Going into chapter 19, we see Paul is in Ephesus and he's preaching to the intellectual and the learned uh, people there. And it says, the Holy Spirit gave him boldness to argue persuasively about the kingdom of God. I love that. Now, I don't see myself as someone able to argue persuasively, but the Holy Spirit could give you the ability to do that. 
And then it says, Paul did daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus for two years. For two years, every day, Paul was arguing persuasively about the gospel. He was doing daily discussions. We need men and women like that today, don't we? Who can argue persuasively, who can have discussions about uh, the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. In fact, it, it, if I don't quote it incorrectly, it says that they would even take handkerchiefs from Paul and lay them in, on people to be cured of illnesses and evil spirits were driven out. Now, we don't make doctrines of those things. The Holy Spirit is free to choose how he wants to demonstrate the power of God. We just want to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit has the power of God and the giftings of God to demonstrate the gospel. I just want to share a humorous story to you. Uh, in, Acts in Acts 19, verses 13 through 16, it says there were some imposters trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus to drive out evil spirits. The seven sons of Sceva, who was a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Listen to what happens. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man with the evil spirit jumped on them, gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I'd love to see a YouTube short video on that one. That would get millions of likes, I'm sure. Uh, but it goes on to say that many sorcerers were so convicted of their, their practice of witchcraft and sorcery, they repented and they burned their books. And it says, and the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the power of God among us, and he is free to choose to demonstrate how he wants to do that. We need to be open uh, to that. Uh, thirdly, let's look at the uh, multi multiplication through opposition and persecution. And so in Acts 12, verses 1 through 5, it says a great persecution arose. Um, we see the account of uh, Stephen being stoned, and uh, Saul was arresting and putting Christians in prison, so they were scattered from Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea, and then eventually to all the Gentiles, and in this scripture, it says that Herod had put Peter in prison, and he beheaded James, and then he saw how it pleased the people, so we have great opposition rising against the church, and Herod, this evil leader, is finding delight and even beheading James and putting Peter in prison. You better believe the early church was desperate. They had to be afraid. And it says they were praying fervently. And then God miraculously delivers Peter in the middle of the night by an angel. And when he showed up the gate of the house where they were praying, this servant girl came out, Rhoda, and she was so surprised that it was Peter, she ran back in the house to tell them that it was Peter, and they said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> it's such humorous in how that, you know, even in our prayers, sometimes when God actually shows up and answers them, it, we find it hard to believe. But um, when God declares something, 
His word prevails against all odds. We need to believe that today. His word is eternal, as it says in Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve, uh, what I desire and, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So if you want to know how to pray God's will, pray the scriptures, take prayers from the scriptures, take the Psalms and pray them, insert your name into them. You can never go wrong praying the scriptures because the scripture is the will of God and, and his promises are true. God is a warrior. He watches over his word to bring it to pass, to bring victory. And so as much as we don't like opposition or persecution, as much as we kind of see it increasing even in our country, and we could say light persecution compared to shedding blood uh, and being beheaded uh, for the faith, uh, Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And that's a promise uh, that we need to remember, but uh, find grace to help us uh, in any opposition or persecution that might come. But honestly, what happened, the church only grew and expanded and multiplied through persecution because it forced them out from Jerusalem to actually fulfill the Great Commission as they spread out to the Gentiles. Um, and so it's just the way God works, quite honestly, in the kingdom of God. He uses opposition. He uses persecution uh, to test our faith to cause us to cry out to him. And it actually tests our faith to cause our faith to be true and genuine, as, as Peter would say. And so when Saul was converted, converted, Jesus actually told Saul that he would have to suffer much for his sake. And so after his conversion, as he began his mission work, he faced opposition, it seems, at every turn. It seems every city he went to, there was someone or some groups of people opposing him, but ironically, it was mostly from the Jews, from his own people, from the religious crowd. Um, in fact, in chapter 8, in chapter 14, um, it says, after Paul had been stoned and dragged outside the city and left for dead, the disciples gathered around him. They must have been praying fervently. And it says he got up. And he kept moving on, preaching the good news of the gospel. And then he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so the result was that a large number of disciples were won over. And so we see this cycle happening again and again as Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary uh, journeys. In fact, if you go back to the end of chapter 12 of Acts, we see that Herod uh, refused to give glory to God when the people rose up and began to say, this is the voice of a God. And it says Herod did not glorify God. And God struck him down dead and he was eaten by worms. And then the next verse says, but the word of God spread. <laughs> so it also reminds me of, of the account back in, in uh, Genesis or in Exodus, in chapter 1, it says that through Pharaoh, the children of Israel were enslaved in forced labor. And in fact, uh, the Egyptians became afraid of the Israelites 
And so they proceeded to try to oppress them even more. And Pharaoh uh, commanded that all the boys under age two would be killed. But do you know what happened? It says the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. It's astounding. And so when God puts this stamp on his people, in fact, God has put his Holy Spirit within us as a seal. So you need to rest assured. If you face oppression and, and persecution, the Spirit of God can expand you and enlarge you and make you even more effective. Uh, number four, we see that the church was multiplied through prayer, worship, and fasting. And we have uh, this account here in Acts 13. Um, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it is in worshiping the Lord that we lift our eyes up to the risen Lord and we worship him in the beauty of his holiness. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who lived, the one who suffered and died for us. He is the one who overcame by his blood and paid the price for our sins. It is in worshiping together as God's people that we see Christ in his glorified position at the right hand of the Father. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. And it changes our perspective from what we see in the natural to heaven's reality. That's what happens when we worship the Lord. So whether it's in private, you need to learn to worship. You need to continue to commit yourself to gathering together with God's people and worshiping the Lord. Because in that worship, in that devotion... The Holy Spirit speaks to us. Our eyes are lifted up and it changes our focus. And the Spirit of God gives us peace and he brings hope to us. And so as we worship Christ, we are then directed in how to pray by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so fasting is listed here and other places in Acts as if it goes hand in hand with prayer. It says they were praying and fasting or they were fasting and, and praying. Um, and in this time, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul or Paul for the work to which I have called them. And they laid hands on them to commission them. So this really was the inauguration of Paul and Barnabas being sent out to the Gentile world uh, to take the gospel. So when you think about prayer, and if you add fasting to it, you, you recognize these are spiritual disciplines that God has called us to uh, embrace. Um, spiritual disciplines uh, cause us to, uh, to grow, to subdue the flesh, and to be more in tune with, with the Spirit of God. I just had to think about my own personal experience uh, when my wife and I were at a former church. We were, we were in a very desperate time. We needed God to hear our prayers. We needed some answers. We needed direction. We needed new leadership. It was a very desperate time, and we were challenged to pray and to fast. And I remember deciding, I'm going to do a three-day fast from solid food. Now, you have to realize I'm a carpenter. I'm building houses. I'm working hard physically. And so I thought, well, I can at least take my thermos of chocolate milk 
to give me a little sustenance, but I remember the first day leaving the house without my lunchbox, and I about panicked. I thought, my God, how am I going to do this? I survived. But you know what I realized? Now, I've never had any addictions in my life, honestly, but I realized I'm addicted to food. I'm like, but God, I need food to sustain me. But you'll be surprised what really controls you when you choose to fast, whatever it is. And so it's a very revealing uh, discipline um, that God actually uh, uh, requires of us. So uh, I'd like to read a quote from John Piper in his book, the, uh, A Hunger for God. Fasting like prayer is for the explicit purpose of bringing glory to God. It is an offering of emptiness, a sacrifice of need. We need food uh, and hunger. It's saying, I am weak and poor. I'm foolish and broken. But you, Lord, are full and strong and wise and whole. When God sees this confession of need and this expression of trust, he acts because the glory of his all-sufficient grace is at stake. And the final answer is that God rewards fasting because fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on earth can satisfy our souls besides God. God must reward this cry because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we discipline these bodies, just the natural desires and of the flesh and of the, of the body that we need. But as we choose to subdue those things of the flesh and those, even those very needs that we have, God is glorified in us. And I believe we become in tune to the Holy Spirit and we hear him like never before. And the word of God becomes alive to us. And God honors that, and he, um, he will answer our prayers uh, in his way, and he will be glorified. And so, when do we pray more or choose to fast? Well, for me, it's when I felt very desperate, and I know I needed God. Um, but I believe God wants us to be more consistent in the spiritual disciplines, so that when the hard times come, and they will come, and I would say they are coming in a greater measure in these days. We will be ready uh, to face them already prepared. Fifthly, the church was multiplied through church planting and appointing of elders and pastors. And uh, in Acts uh, chapter 14 and verses 21 through 23. Just want to read these few verses to give you a little uh, window into uh, this. So it says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So 
Um, Paul and Barnabas um, appointed elders. We believe the word elder is synonymous with pastor. So they were committing uh, pastors and elders into each church that was planted. And through prayer and fasting again, they were commissioning these elders, praying for them, committing them to the Lord. Uh, in chapter 16, we see Paul was introduced to a young disciple named Timothy. And we know that Timothy uh, uh, became uh, a pastor under Paul's uh, mentorship and discipleship. Uh, we have the book of Timothy, which was a letter by Paul to Timothy. Um, and, uh, and so uh, the apostles were always planting churches as they went. They were setting elders and pastors in place uh, for church leadership, for church direction and order and uh, guidance. And, um, and so uh, the New Testament, uh, you know, through Timothy and the books of Titus, we have clear qualifications for elders and pastors uh, and deacons. Uh, and so the work of the pastor and the elders, as Pastor Raphael already read to us from Ephesians 4, God has given these gift men to the church to pray, to preach the word of God, to equip you as the people to grow up and to be mature, to go and make disciples. It's never been only for the pastor to do or the elders but it's God's design that each of you would be a disciple maker um, and go out and make disciples that could make disciples as we've already seen uh, illustrated. And as you read through the New Testament in the early church, um, just a little sidebar again, there's no category for the Lone Ranger as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. It's always in the context of the local church uh, submitted to the pastors and the elders, being equipped and being discipled in the community of God's people. As we kind of work our way through Acts, um, and to kind of end this, uh, we go to Acts chapter 21, um, and verse 17. So Paul has ended his missionary journeys He's seen the church being multiplied, churches being planted, leaders set in place. And uh, he returns to Jerusalem one last time. Um, and um, in chapter 21 and verses 17 through 20, it says, When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brothers, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed. Paul was able to experience the joy and the fruit of returning to Jerusalem and reporting to them what God had done among the Gentiles. And then with joy, he heard the report that thousands of Jews in Jerusalem had come to believe in Christ, the Messiah, his very people that he initially tried to destroy uh, before he was converted. And so we see Paul's passion was to preach the gospel to as many people as he could. He was committed to establishing uh, the local church and setting leaders in place. 
And uh, even at the end of Paul's life, as he uh, chose to take his case to Caesar in Rome, um, he was put in chains under house arrest, I think, for two years. So at the end of Paul's life, he's in chains. He's in house arrest. But through that very imprisonment, God used Paul to write most of the New Testament that we have. And so God actually gave Paul opportunity to preach to kings and to governors at the end of his life. And God gave Paul the great opportunity to give us most of the New Testament, which we have for the whole world today. And the church is still being multiplied through Paul's ministry. And so to end, I would say and submit to you that the church can only grow, it can only expand and multiply as it preaches the power of the gospel, as it embraces the opposition that comes with that, as it disciplines itself to worship, to pray and to fast so that it might hear the Holy Spirit and lead the church in making disciples, teaching them and equipping them to go and make more disciples. And this is our mission at City Church. It's to extend the glory of God. We do it by making disciples uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church. At this point in my life, it's been the best. It is the best church experience I've ever had. And I would say for the first time in our church experience, we see discipleship happening on purpose. It's, it brings joy to us. It's happening organically. It's happening through organized ministry, through the women's ministry, through the men's ministry. And so you have opportunity to be discipled or to make a disciple. And so if you uh, would accept that challenge, just talk to any one of us elders, to our wives, and we can help you uh, get connected in that process because uh, together we can reach the world one disciple at a time. Amen. Let's pray. We'll prepare for the Lord's Supper. God, we offer this message to you, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in whose name we must be saved and are saved. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are sanctified through the word of God, through the word of truth, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through his work. And so God, today we just, we submit ourselves to you, God, and we say, God, we're too weak in the flesh. We're too rebellious at times. We're too complacent. We're too comfortable to make the sacrifice. So we ask Holy Spirit that you would help us today in our weakness, that you would convict us, God, of the need to be discipled and to go and make disciples as you direct us. Holy Spirit, we, we come together now to celebrate what Christ has done for us through his broken body and his shed blood. And so be pleased to uh, bless us as we partake uh, of the elements uh, today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from City Church, located in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We hope God meets you where you are and doesn't leave you, but changes you through the work of His Son. For additional information, please visit citychurchpa.org.